0: Appreciate Steve and Holly putting those together for us as we've really tried to work through the season through the pillars of the gospel. That's God has a plan for us, he has a purpose, and that's for us to live in an eternal relationship with him. But there's a problem that makes that difficult, makes it impossible, and that's our sinfulness. But God has provided a remedy, which we're going to look at today, in Jesus Christ. And our response to it needs to be one of experiencing conviction that leads to repentance, we turn back to God, we confess our sin to God, embrace the gift that he's given us of salvation in Jesus Christ by faith, and then begin that new life walking in faith as we go forward. And I pray that the series that we've been doing as a part of our devotional readings have been helpful to you as a part of that journey of figuring out what really is the good news and where we go from there. So You know, when we started Hope Chapel, one of the things I always hoped was we'd be a church that just a kind of a a church a little bit ahead of the curve, and today we're definitely a little bit ahead of the curve because the rest of the Christian world is celebrating Palm Sunday. And we did that three weeks ago. So but that doesn't mean we haven't recognized it. We had a little video earlier in our service and we're gonna have palms for you as you leave today. But today we're gonna be focusing on what the church is gonna remember on Friday, Good Friday. And um, so let me start with, with just a question for you. So how many of you are the type of people like me who kind of start but don't ever really finish? Right? I, you know, I was, as I was thinking about that yesterday as, as I was working some more on my sermon, I looked out my window, and, and we have a shed in the backyard. And it wasn't last fall, but it was the fall before. So that was the fall of 2017. I had to replace some boards on the shed. So it needs to be painted, do you think it's painted yet? No. We kind of start, and then Christina hasn't painted it yet. So that's the way it kind of works. So, and and that's going to happen tomorrow, right? Running the Boston Marathon. There are a lot of people who are going to start, and they're going to finish, but there's a lot of other people who probably would have been like me who are going to start, and then somewhere around Natick, they're just going to call for a Uber and go back to their car and go home, right? And... And I bring that up because today what we're going to be looking at in in Mark chapter 15 is really the place in Mark's gospel where he reaches a place where he says mission accomplished. What was started has been finished. And next week with the resurrection, it's really kind of a victory lap. But what Mark set out to prove with his gospel is going to be accomplished in Mark chapter 15. And so that's why in today's sermon, I've given you, there's a place in the back of your handout for you to take notes. And I've entitled this sermon today, Mission Accomplished. And that happens, so just a little bit of review so, so we can kind of get into the flow. We've been processing or tracking through the Gospel of Mark since way back in October. And I don't expect you to remember that far back because I can't remember what I had for dinner last night. So, but just as a reminder to you, we started out that we knew or we recognized from Mark 1 1 that Mark's objective was to prove that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and to do so in such a way that a Roman world, not a Jewish world, not Jesus' world, but a Roman world could actually believe that Jesus was the only Son of the only God. And Mark starts his gospel with the beginning of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in Mark chapter 15, he accomplishes the fulfillment of his case. And we're going to see that in just a minute. But Jesus also came on a mission. So Mark's got a mission in writing the gospel, right? He's he's in the city of Rome. He's been listening to to Peter teach, you know, and and Peter now has been executed by the Romans. And Mark is picking up all the material that Peter's been teaching, and he puts together to make a case that Jesus really is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is the Son of God who came for us. And he looks at the life of Christ to make that case. But as he lays out the mission of Christ, he also reaches a place where in this gospel, the mission is accomplished. You know, way over in chapter 2, when Jesus said, Healed some folks, and, and with that, they were having a big party of celebration, and Jesus was, was, was hanging out with sinners. He was putting himself where he was in a place where he was contaminated by their sinfulness because he was in fellowship with them. He was eating a meal with them, right? And, and, the, and the religious, what, what, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're defiling yourself. And Jesus said, you know what? It's not the healthy people who need a physician. It's the sick people. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. And that pinnacle is going to reach its case here in Mark chapter 15. Maybe he said it a little bit more specifically in Mark chapter 10, right, when he says, you know what, the Son of Man didn't come to be served. I didn't come to work my way to the top so everybody's underneath me, but I came to serve. And the way I'm going to serve is I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. We see that accomplished in Mark chapter 15. So here's what I want to do. I want to work through the text and for us just to understand what's going on. Again, my objective every Sunday, the primary thing that I want to do on, most, on every Sunday is for you to walk out the door equipped to have a dialogue with God based upon what he said to us from his word. So the biggest thing I can do, the best thing I can do for you is help you understand what it is that's really being shared with us as the truth of God in the Word of God. But then I want to go back and look at some ways that this mission has been accomplished and talk about how it gets accomplished in our lives. So I'd love for you to grab a Bible and turn to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. If you didn't bring a Bible with you or you don't have one on your phone or your tablet, um, you'll find a Bible underneath your seat. And if you're using the Bible, it's underneath your seat. The text is on page 863. 863, Mark chapter 15. And we're going to work our way all the way through the text. It's going to take us a few minutes to read. I'll make some comments as we go for, to bring out some of the back story, if you will. And we're going to move, as you will, towards the conclusion of the shortest of the four Gospels and also the very first one to be written. It was a predecessor of all the others. So we pick up in Mark chapter 15. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests had a meeting with the elders, the scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin. So during the night, we see this in chapter 14, during the night they've arrested Jesus and they've bopped him around through a number of different meetings, and so they've been holding these trials, if you will, these at night, which is illegal by Jewish law. So when the, dawn, when the sun comes up, they say, you know what, we've already made up our mind what the verdict is, well, we've got to make this legal. So they get everybody together. They call together the Sanhedrin who had legal authority over all of the Jews that were living in Palestine, and they draw the verdict up. So they tie up Jesus, and they lead him away, and they hand him over to Pilate. The reason they did so was because it was only the Romans, specifically it was only the Roman leader in Jerusalem or in Palestine that actually had the authority to implement capital punishment. So they hand Jesus over to Pilate, the Roman leader, because they want Jesus executed. And the charge they come up with is that he's committed treason. He's claimed to be the king of the Jews, which is a violation of Roman law. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And the answer to him says, you've said it. You have said it. The the underlying Greek language is is far more ambiguous. It's more like along the lines of, that's what you've said. So, because if Jesus said, yes, yes, that, trial's over. Though in some of the accounts you get the idea that Jesus is, you know, my kingdom's not of this world. I'm not here to do an over whatever. And, and, and Pilate is in a whole different place. But Jesus says, that's what you've said. So the chief priest, verse 4, right. sorry, verse 3, began to accuse him of many things. And so Pilate questioned him. He says, aren't you going to answer anything? Aren't you going to make any kind of a defense? Look how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer anything. So Pilate was amazed. Jesus is in Pilate's presence because Pilate has the power of life and death over Jesus. You would think that Jesus would be amazed with Pilate, but Pilate is amazed by Jesus. Hold that thought. We're going to get back there. At the festival, it was Pilate's custom to release for the people a prisoner they had requested. We don't actually see this in historical records anywhere. And what we think is that Pilate had so botched his leadership with the Jews, and they had complained so vehemently about his leadership to the Roman government, that he had decided, you know what, I'm going to try to get a few brownie points. And so he implemented this practice of saying, at the fast over, I'll release to you whoever you want. So Pilate's custom was to release for the people a prisoner they requested. So there was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during a rebellion. So this is a guy who led an insurrection, right? And this guy's name is Barabbas. Barabbas means son of a father. And there's actually really good historical evidence, not quite to the threshold where we can reinsert it into the text, but that his, actually his first name was Jesus. So you have Jesus, the son of any father and then you have Jesus who is the Christ and the people have to make a choice the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom so Pilate answered them do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you for he knew it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over In other words, he hadn't really done anything wrong. He didn't deserve to die. It was just because they could never be like him. They could never have the relationship with the people like him. They could never be who he was. They could never be righteous like him. They handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. They chose the earthly kingdom, the nationalists, over the spiritual kingdom of the Christ Pilate asked them again, then what do you want me to do with the one whom you call the king of the Jews? And they said, crucify him. In fact, they said they shouted, crucify him! Now crucifixion was um, a form of execution that was, for the most part, we think, implemented by the Persians and passed along and the Romans had picked it up. It it was a type of execution that they would never use on a Roman citizen. It was only used on non-Romans. And the reason they did it was because it made a huge public display, and therefore it served as a huge deterrent. You know, there's two different ways, but they would always make sure it was in a very prominent public place, a place when people were coming and going. It was outside the city gates, so people were coming in from the outside and whatever, and they would put it in a very prominent place. Often it was a single pole with a cross brace apart, which is the imagery that we have. Sometimes it was crossed like this, And they would be nailed in the two corners. And sometimes you could linger on the cross for two to three days before you died. You literally just died from suffocation because you're just leaning on your lung and then also from exhaustion. So they handed him over to be, they cried, crucify him. So Pilate says to them, "Well, why? What What has he done wrong? But they shouted, crucify him all the more. Then, willing to gratify the crowd, right, He, out of political necessity and also by sovereign command, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and then after having Jesus flogged, he handed them over to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the courtyard, that is the headquarters, and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on him. So they actually coronated Jesus for his role as the king of the Jews. They did it in mocking, but it was actually the appropriate symbol. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews! And they kept hitting him on the head with a reed and spitting on him. Imagine as they whacked him on the head, the crown of thorns is getting pushed deeper and deeper into his skull, right? And getting down on their knees, they were paying him homage. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe. The imagery there is like of pulling off a bandage off of a wound, right? They pulled off the purple robe and they put his clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. And they forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross and his name was Simon. He was a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus and we think the reason why their names are included here is that they were actually a part of the church in Rome when Mark wrote, and they brought Jesus to the place called Galgotha, which means skull place. And they, they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. In other words, they tried to give him a painkiller. Here, take this oxycodone, right, you know? Take, take, take this little bit of morphine before you get up there. But he, he, he wanted to feel it. Then they crucified him, and they divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Clothes were actually a major purchase. You know, for us, it's more like an automobile or a house or, you know, a whole room full of furniture or whatever is a big purchase. For them, actually, clothes was one of the biggest purchases they would make. And so they, they divided them up among them. And that was nine in the morning. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge written against him was the king of the Jews. They were, sometimes they would hang it around the prisoner's neck in this particular case, we get the sense it was nailed on the cross above him. And they always put out the charge against him. They crucified two criminals with him, one on his right and one on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled that says, and he was counted among outlaws. And those who were passing by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha! The one who would demolish the sanctuary and build it in three days? Save yourself! Save yourself by coming down off the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, with the scribes who were mocking him, were mocking him to one and one to another, saying, he saved others. He, he can't even save himself. Let the Messiah, right? The King of Israel come down and, from the cross so that we may see and believe. Jesus, here's your last chance. You can, make, you can prove to us who you are. Right? And even those who were crucified with him were taunting him. We know from Luke's gospel that one of them eventually changed his tune and was granted the forgiveness that leads to eternity with the Father. So when it was noon, so Jesus had been on the cross now for three hours, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Darkness has the symbolism of judgment, right? And, And so as the as the darkness descends over the land, it means that the judgment is descending, if you will, on Jesus. And, and it tries to pull up the picture of the ninth plague, which was darkness in Exodus. And then the angel of death came and brought judgment on the nation of Egypt, right? And so it, it's, this darkness comes over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God. My God, why have you abandoned or forsaken me? When some of those near heard this, they said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. So someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a reed, and offered him a drink and said, Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry, and we know from John's gospel, he cried, It is finished! And he breathed his last. Then the curtain of the sanctuary, which was about three inches, three to four inches thick. So this is not like your, your your curtains at home that you can just like your shower curtain, you can just tear really easily. This is like, you know, four inches thick, and probably probably a couple of tractors couldn't pull this apart, right? It says that the curtain of the sanctuary was split from the top to the bottom. It was a divine thing, right? And when the centurion who was standing opposite saw him, opposite him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, This man really was God's son. The centurion, a Roman, who was standing opposite him, saw the way he breathed his last and said, This man really was God's son. There were also women looking on from a distance. Remember, all the men had been cowards and had ran. So only the women were there, right? Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, uh, Joseph and uh, Salome. When he was in Galilee, they would follow him and help him, and many other women to come up with him to Jerusalem. So when it was already evening, because it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, remember verse 1, right? These are the guys who had sentenced him, Right? who himself was looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went into Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate was surprised he was dead already. So summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. And when he found out from the centurion, when it was confirmed, he gave the corpse to Joseph. So much for the swoon theory, right? You got the guy who's the expert in death, who at At risk of his own life, says to his boss, who has the power of life and death over him, says, He's really dead. He's really dead. And after he bought some fine linen, he took him down and wrapped him in linen. And then he placed him in a tomb out of the rock, cut out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Now Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were working, were watching where he was placed. If you want to get the rest of the story, you've got to come back next week. So, so a couple of points for us, for us to really take it. Let's think about Mark's mission here and how does this happen. Mark sets out to take the actual true events of the life of Christ and to put together in such a way that they will convince a Roman or a worldly audience that Jesus is the only son of the only God and that in that is good news because he is the savior of the world. So how does that happen in this text? Right? How does that happen in, in this text? And, and I think you see it in two different ways. First of all, it's related to Pilate. So Pilate is the guy in Palestine, right? Most of the time he's he's in a palace down in Caesarea. It's a, he's on the coast, but he comes up during the major festivals to Jerusalem so he can be he can have immediate lines of communication in case anything goes wrong. He is the guy, right? Top of the food chain. And he is the leader of the Ro- of the Roman world in Palestine. And this guy doesn't want to have anything to do with executing Jesus. In fact, he's the one who's amazed by Jesus rather than Jesus being amazed by him. And the message that Mark is conveying through the reaction of Pilate, right, is that, yes, I know that you, as as, as the Roman system, executed Jesus, but I got to tell you, they didn't want to. They had to because of what was going on. It was politically necessary. This is what he needed to do. He needed to do this favor, but it was also God's divine plan But at the heart of it, the one who had power over him really wanted to release him because he was innocent across the board. And we see this over and over again. You know, Pilate hears him say, Are you not going to respond to what they're doing? Make a defense. I want to let you go. I want to declare you not guilty. Say something. Jesus doesn't say a word. And there's just something about his presence, the way he's carrying himself, that he's just amazed. This guy who was the most powerful person who was ambitious to climb the political he looks at Jesus and he's amazed. And Mark is saying to his readers, Mark is saying to us, the reason why he's amazed is that Jesus is no man. He is the only son of the only God who's living among us. And over and over again, he's trying to let Jesus go. Well, all right, you know, I'll, I'll execute my guts. You know, I've been trying to get some brownie points with you guys. So you stop complaining to Rome about my leadership. I don't want to get fired. I don't want to be demoted. I want my career to keep going forward. And so let, let me release somebody to you. And so he figures the people who've seen all the miracles are going to, and they cry for Barabbas. When push comes to shove, the people choose Jesus, the son of any father, over Jesus who is the Christ. Sounds like a lot like our world today, right? And so he we said, well, 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 if you're going to take Barabbas, what do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify him. What's he done wrong? We don't care. Crucify him. And Mark is painting this picture that the guy who had the life of Christ in his hands knew he didn't deserve to die. Because he was innocent. And you don't need to reject him because he was executed as a rebel, you can embrace him because he's the one who truly didn't deserve to die. He's the one who made Pilate amazed. But where it really reaches this conclusion, right, is with the centurion. You know, I think sometimes we read this and we get familiar, we just blow by it. So Mark starts out and says, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And who is the first person in his gospel to declare that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, Peter's acknowledged that he's the Messiah, but the first person to acknowledge that he is the Son of God is who? The centurion, who just looks at the whole thing, and he sees the way Jesus dies. He sees everything that's going on around him, and he says, You know what? Truly, this guy was the Son of God. Mark says, just go back and read your own history books. The guy who was in charge of his execution, who watched him die, he's the one who first recognized that Jesus Christ is the only son of the only God. And Mark lays down his pen, if you will, and says, mission accomplished. I set out to prove to a Roman world that Jesus is the son of God. And it's one of your own who was the first to declare, Jesus is the Son of God. Truly, this one was the Son of God. Well, what about Jesus' mission? And, and we see hints in here in a couple of areas about the accomplishment. Remember, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to be a solution, the physician for those who were caught in the sickness of sin and we see that happening in this text. It, it, it comes out in two different ways. One is in the taunting that takes place, right? So Jesus is hanging on this cross, right? And he's and he's and he's right outside the city. People are coming and going. It's a big public thoroughfare, right? You know, I, I you know and 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 so everybody and people say, Oh yeah, you you can do this, you're gonna be this big bullshit, we're gonna tear down the temple, all this stuff. You can't you just just save yourself, right? And then the religious leaders in particular say, you know what? We've given you opportunity over and over and over again to prove to us that you are the Son of God. If you come down off of that cross now, we'll believe that you are the Son of God. But the fact of the matter is is that that's not Jesus' mission, is it? Jesus could have gotten off of the cross, and they would have believed that he was the Son of God, but they still would have needed a Savior. Savior. See, Jesus didn't come just so people would believe that he is the Son of God. Jesus came because we needed a Savior. And he couldn't fulfill his mission by getting off the cross. I mean, you look through the Gospel of Mark, you know, the demons constantly recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, right? He's God among them. And they recognize that doesn't mean they're redeemed. It's not just enough to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. What you need is for Jesus to be your Savior because you believe that he is the Son of God. And Mark says, you know what? Jesus could have gotten down off of the cross. He could have proved to everybody that he was not just an ordinary guy, that he really was the Christ, that he really was the Son of God. But guess what? We'd still be in a place where we needed a Savior. And so Jesus, to accomplish his mission, right, he stays on the cross. He doesn't get off of it. And Mark says, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. It's a powerful word for us in the the midst of that. Um, The other thing that that I want us to, that brings this message out is this this phrase that we see from the lips of Jesus while he's on the cross. We, We know that as you put all the Gospels together, that Jesus said several different things, maybe many things uh, from the cross, but there's only one phrase that Mark records for us, and that's the statement, My God, my God, why why, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Now, I think one of the things that you and I often kind of gravitate to is like, this is just Jesus in his physical pain crying out to God, God, why are you letting this happen to me? And listen, Jesus had been brutalized. No doubt about it, right? Jesus had been brutalized. You know, um, Pilate had sent him off to be flogged. And when flogging, and they would take a guy and they would put his hands up above his head, tie it to a post, barebacked. And there were two guys, one on each side, right and the left, who would have a whip in their hands. And at the, end of the, at the end of the whip tails were pieces of bone and metal. And so when they whipped the back, it literally would just rip the flesh off. And we have descriptions from other places in history where some of the outcomes were literally you could, you could see guys' internal organs right through their backs. And you could see their ribs hanging out, right? But I got to tell you, Jesus went through it for what? Six, nine hours? I mean, you can go read stories of POWs who put up with far worse than that for months, if not years. And that, that's not what's causing Jesus to cry out. See, Mark here is, he, he, he wants to make sure that he peels the curtain back just enough to let us see inside, to see what's really going on. It's not that Jesus is just physically suffering on the cross, but he's saying the reason what what's going on here is that that God is abandoning Christ because Christ is coming to bear all the sin of the world. The righteous the holy can't be in the presence of the unrighteous or the unholy. And so, you really get, this, this thing is, Jesus hangs on a cross. It's like all the sins of the world are being onboarded to him, right? You know, and so, you know, first of all, it's the, it's the rebellion of Adam and Eve. And then it's the, the murder of Abel by Cain. And then it's, you know, then it's all the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Then it's all the sins that led to the, the flood under Noah. And then it's, you know, then it's all of the, the child and human sacrifice that was a part of the false religions. And then it's, and then it's all the, the fertility cult stuff with all the sexual immorality. And that's poured on. And then it's, then it's all the atrocities that took place in the, in the slave trade. And, and then it's all the atrocities that were committed in the Holocaust. And then, you know, then the genocide and the list just goes on and it's all being onboarded onto Jesus. And in the midst of all this, he's literally coming to be, to bearing all of this, which he cannot stand in any way, shape, or form, right? And, 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 as, and, as, and he's literally becoming sin. In the midst of that, God has to turn away and leave him alone. It's not the physical pain that makes him cry out. Though he was suffering, what made him cry out was the sin that he was experiencing, and it horrified him. He hated it. It nauseated him. And the list just goes on and in the midst of that, he experienced that. The one thing in, in eternity he never wanted to experience, and that was separation from the Father. And he did that to accomplish the mission. And it's in that moment that the ransom is paid. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. For many. And Mark pictures it this way. There was this barrier between God and man represented by the veil in the temple. And when Jesus died, it's ripped from top to bottom. That barrier is removed. The mission is accomplished. And now as God's people, we can walk into the presence of God because Jesus was forsaken because he refused to get off of a cross. For us, and the mission is accomplished. And, and it's like Mark is ready to lay down his pen. You know, but you know, it's interesting. I have, again, on your handout, the title of my sermon is, is Mission Accomplished. But there's a lot of me that was very tempted to put a question mark after it. I know Mark accomplished his mission. I know Jesus accomplished his mission. The issue is whether or not the mission has been accomplished in us. Have we experienced the ripping of our own veil of sin? Have we allowed ourselves to embrace the ransom that Christ has paid for us through our own faith in Jesus Christ? You know, I know in a a room like this, there are many of you who, who have already experienced what it means to be set free and to be able to walk through, through the ripped veil into the presence of God and to live there for eternity as this child. But that's not true for all of us. And God wants that mission to be accomplished in you. And it only happens... By you placing your faith in Jesus Christ, asking for forgiveness that Jesus bought on the cross, and inviting him into your life through faith. And I challenge and invite you today to do that, because what kept Jesus on the cross was the eternal plan of God and his love for you and for me, that the mission would be accomplished in us. And it's my privilege and honor today to invite you into faith, to step through the rip, curtain into the presence of God based upon what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But I think there's a different sense, and that's for many of us who say, you know, I'm a believer, I've been there, thank God, You know, so great to see it in the text. You know, part of the mission isn't accomplished yet, because as we saw a couple of last chapter, Jesus said, you know, wherever wherever this act of this woman, wherever the gospel is proclaimed to all the nations... The gospel hasn't been proclaimed to all the world because there's a part of my world and there's a part of your world where it hasn't been proclaimed yet. And so there's this question mark on the end of mission accomplished because not everybody in our world has heard the good news of Jesus Christ. All of this brings us very powerfully to what we do today in the Lord's Supper. You know, Jesus wanted us to never forget that what led to the ripping of the veil and our ability to walk into the Holy of Holies as a child of God, as a co-heir with Christ, of all that God has to offer us, uh, happened because he stayed in that cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed so that you and I could be forgiven and because you and I could have a new relationship, there could be a new covenant between God and us. And hence, the night before he died, so doing the math,, maybe 18 hours, 22, 23 hours before he died on the cross. Jesus met with his disciples in up his upper room. He said, "You know what? I want you to never forget that the mission's been accomplished by me." So there's this piece of bread, and I'm going to break it, and I'm going to give it out to you. And this is my body. It's going to remind you of who I am as you go forward. It's going to remind you, what, and here's the, here, here's, here's the cup of the new covenant. This, this is the, the new contract that we have with God. He wants us to remember. Let's pause for just a moment. I'm going to invite those who are going to help serve the Lord's Supper to go ahead and take their spots in the back. But I just want to lead in a brief prayer as we get ready to observe the Lord's Supper. God, thank you that your plans are always accomplished. Before the first molecule was spoken into existence in Genesis 1, you had this plan. And as Jesus hung on a cross and bore all of our sin, and you had to turn your, your face from him and abandon him, it was finished. God, I pray you'd finish it in us today. You're here today, and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, I, I, I can't say that I know for sure I've been forgiven based upon what Christ did on the cross. I invite you to take that step today. Some we'll say, God, you know, I, I I need more than just the Son of God. I need a Savior. I ask you to forgive me and apply the ransom that Jesus bought to my life by my faith in Him. And I don't know exactly what that looks like in terms of walk by faith. I I just pray that Jesus would enter into my life by faith and I'd grow each and every day as I go forward. Father, thanks for offering your son on the cross for us and giving us this meal to always remember that it is what allows us to be in fellowship with you. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen.